Hello, everybody. This is Andrew Gomison, and I'm privileged to be the host of the Speaking for Him podcast. Welcome back to the show. And if you are a first-time listener, thank you for choosing us as part of your podcast listening. It is the mission of the Speaking for Him podcast to be an encouragement on this journey that we call the Christian life, so I'm glad that you are along for this show. For those that have been listening for a length of time, you know that we started a series uh, called Back to Basics, and this conversation of Back to Basics started with the five solas of the Reformation, and after that was done, we began a study of some popular heresies that the modern church has embraced. And it has not been easy to do this series, but I think it has been beneficial because we need to be people who rightly divide the word of truth. And so today we're going to dig into another one of those myths and that myth is we can or should avoid talking about hot-button issues, which are actually related to sin and choices about whether to live a righteous or an unrighteous life. And I will explain that a little bit more as we dive into our main topic. But before we get to that, I want to talk to you about what is going on. Well, first and foremost, there's been a pretty significant change in my life over the last week as I have made the difficult decision to resign my position at the Potter's House Christian School. And I want to thank John Boy and my coworkers at the Potter's House for uh, five years uh, of a great opportunity to serve the best of masters as a Potter's House employee. And if you combine that with my five years of volunteer work, I actually had a decade that God placed me at the Potter's House, and I'm very grateful for that. You know, I was thinking as I was going through this process that Pastor Bill Bennett said that he had kind of lived his life of ministry in 20-year increments uh, because he spent 20 years... Um, as a pastor, and then I think he said 20 years at Camp Awakaya, and then he he was hoping a few years ago when he began his Woman at Risk journey to spend at least 20 years there before retiring. And so I think I kind of have a 10-year pattern going. I spent 10 years at the Right to Life, and I spent 10 years at the Potter's House, So I don't know exactly how the next 10 years is going to look, but I'm excited to see what God will do. This month is actually uh, 11 years since I began speaking for him back in September of 2009, and God has certainly blessed in that endeavor, and this podcast is a big part of that. I really appreciate being able to come here week after week, and encourage you in the things of the Lord. And actually, next month, I will be celebrating nine years of broadcasting via this podcast. So I'm very excited about that. And who knows, there might be a special episode 
there will at least be a special segment of an episode dealing with that nine-year anniversary because it's a pretty significant thing, especially when there was a brief time when I wasn't sure if COVID would end the podcast or not. And actually, it's kind of ironic because there were a couple times before COVID where I thought the lack of a co-host would end the podcast. But God uh, works everything out for his good, and he saw fit to keep me broadcasting. And now I'm fairly confident about broadcasting here in my home studio, even though sometimes I worry about the content or the quality. But God's fingerprints are all over this, and I'm so thankful for that. I'm really excited to share with you a couple different movies uh, that are either in theaters or are coming out soon. The first one is Show Me the Father, and this is uh, the Kendrick Brothers' first documentary. They've done several feature films, um, and they've all been stories that were penned by the Kendrick Brothers and produced by the Kendrick Brothers, starting with Flywheel and going through Overcomer, and now they have decided to turn their attention to a documentary called Show Me the Father, which deals with fatherhood. All of us have a fatherhood story. My dad was my hero growing up. My father was somebody who disappointed you. To have my father proud was my sole purpose of playing football. I want to make a difference in the lives of young people the way my father made a difference in my life. We put a representation of our father in all of our movies. I prayed for me and my brother and my mom to get through this night. I think we lived in seven different houses kind of running from my dad. I started losing my ability to walk. We didn't realize the war that was going on inside of him. Wishing that I could just die. Lord, why didn't you give me a dad I could call? Because I need wisdom right now. I knew that I wasn't prepared to be anybody's mom. I was doing the right thing for him. I panicked. And Sherman says, man, listen, calm down. It is a beautiful thing to have a child. This is why I do what I do. For guys like that. I mean, it was like the hair on the back of my neck is standing up. She said, I can tell that you already love her. I did. I would get asked about family history. I didn't have any answers because I didn't know. Did you have a baby in 1972 in Allegheny County? She says back, yes. I'm as is her. I'm stunned. He's real. He's really out there. And this is really him. This is really him. In the Bible, the blessing was everything. I declare that you are a beloved son in whom we are well pleased. You're pushing all the buttons that men want to hear their dad say. It was the first time I'd been called out like that. He was that first man that paid attention to me. He was treating me like a bad boy. Your perfect father in heaven can change the trajectory of your life. That's like the light came through. And I wept till I couldn't weep anymore. Haven't I been a good father? I need somebody to show me.
I am really excited about this film and I will be going to the theaters very soon to watch it and then provide a review here on the Speaking for Him podcast. But I just want to encourage you to please go out and support this film in the theaters. I don't know how long it will run. I know that we have had a time with COVID trying to get movies distributed and it's kind of exciting that theaters are now open up and we can go to the movies and support films like this. I know some of you probably don't go to movies, but I really think that it's important for us to go to a movie that has really positive qualities and has a Christian message and a a good lesson for us all to learn because box office dollars do talk. And if we can get out and support films like this, we can show Hollywood and movie distributors that these actually are movies that make a difference. They are things that people want to see. And so I just want to encourage you to go and see this documentary. As I said, the Kendrick brothers are amazing filmmakers. They haven't disappointed me yet. Um, and so I, I can wholeheartedly uh, give you an endorsement to go see this uh, without having seen it. But I do look forward to, in the coming weeks, bringing you a review of Show Me the Father. And then I was really excited to find out today that one of my favorite football players' lives is being made into a movie and is coming out this Christmas Day. Uh, My family sometimes likes to go to a movie the week after Christmas, and so this will be a good one to carry that tradition forward with. Uh, This movie is called American Underdog, and it tells the story of former Rams quarterback and Cardinals quarterback, one Mr. Kurt Warner. You wanted to see me, sir? Sit down, Kurt. Thank you, Kurt. I prefer to stand. All right. Go ahead, then. Tell me. Tell you what. Why, a team worth $800 million, one of the most complex offenses ever built, should put you in the driver's seat. You're too old to be working, too green to be a pro. So why in the world would I give you this shot? I've defined myself through sports. I've always come up empty. Coach, I can win for you. You need to start thinking about life after football, son. We gave you the chance. We're letting you go. I was meant for something. Something more. You think you could be that guy? Yeah, I do. What are you doing here? I wasn't ready for it. You defied all odds. I've waited for it. I've bled for it. I know who I am. I know why I'm here. If you give me a chance. Green went down hard and is not getting up. I will not let you down.
pressure like you, son. Destiny. Come on, Sophia does. You want to prove that? This movie is exciting for me because a lot of times there will be a a Christian uh, true story movie that comes out, and I I know about the the person in the movie, but I actually investigate them more because of the movie, and then I get to like them more. Such as the case with Bart Millard, and as I can only imagine, or Jeremy Camp with I Still Believe. Those stories. In the case of Kurt Warner, though, um, I've I've read his autobiography that this is based on. He's been a uh, sports hero of mine ever since I saw him win the Super Bowl with the Rams. It was a very improbable victory, and he gave God the glory. And I've I've been a fan of his ever since. Um, he's been very consistent. Uh, with his faith walk, and so it's exciting for me to see his story um, coming to life on the big screen. So again, another movie that I would encourage you to take the opportunity to watch and enjoy with your family. Again, giving movies like this box office support is so important uh, because it allows these filmmakers to continue making films that have very positive messages and run countercultural to most of what Hollywood puts out these days. My next announcement that I would like to bring to your attention is the fact that live theater is back. And for those of us in the theater world, this is something that we've been working toward and praying for for quite a while and so I'm excited to tell you that Master Arts um, is in the midst of their first show of the 2021-2022 season, and it is Life Derailed, which was written by Ruth Deemer Hoffman. Ruth is a Master Arts alum and a local playwright, and so it's exciting to see her show uh, come to life on stage. I was able to go opening weekend for the Saturday matinee performance. It was very well done, very well cast, very well directed, and I think that you will really enjoy it. My father um, plays one of the parts, and I can't tell you much about it because that would give away the show, but I just can say that there's a lot of twists and turns. So go to masterarts.org and get your tickets for Life Derailed. I think there's still a few available for the remaining couple of weekends that are still upcoming. And it's just so exciting to see uh, Master Arts Theater coming back. And Lord willing, we will be able to stay open and have a full season. we got some exciting things planned. Um, the next show is the best Christmas pageant ever, which happens to be one of my favorite uh, holiday stories, Christmas stories. Uh, that my mom read to me when I was younger, and I've read myself. Uh, it's just a really fun story, and I really appreciate that Master Arts is doing it this year. I think this is the second or third time they've done it in the years that I've been involved with them, 
but it is still a great story, and I'm excited to see it once again. Today we are investigating the myth that we can or should avoid talking about hot-button issues, a.k.a. sin. I think this is so important because if we're going to talk about the hope of Jesus, we need to understand that the hope of Jesus is hope for us because Jesus delivers us from our sin. And as I unpack these issues, I don't do so from a place of having it all together or being a perfect guy. Anyone who knows me knows that I'm not perfect. And so the goal in this discussion is not to be perfect, but to call sin what it is and to talk about it in the way that it needs to be talked about. Uh, Because the only way to deal with sin is to call it out and to be real about it. And as I said earlier, I think that there is, a there is, and I probably said it in some form or another in various episodes of this series, but there is a striking biblical illiteracy that comes up about two particular issues that leap to my mind when I think about this myth about underselling sin and not talking about it in the proper way. And those issues are the issue of homosexuality and the issue of abortion. Now, I know that for those that have listened long-term to this podcast, you say you will say, well, Andrew, you talk about this all the time. And yes, it is true. But I do this because it is so important to my ministry and what I do and what I'm passionate about. I started speaking for him because I was passionate about the disintegration of the family. And one of the biggest reasons for the disintegration of the family is because we've forgotten the distinct roles of men and women. Uh, We're living in a culture, even in our churches today often, where men and women are considered the same in such a way as to take away their uniqueness before God. That it's offensive to say the men and women are, were created different for different purposes and with different skills. But that's exactly what happened. So as we dig into this, keep in mind that framework. Let's start with our quote of the day. Our quote of the day comes from the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis in the beginning of the Bible um, chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 21 to 24 of Genesis chapter 2. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he woman and brought her unto man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Now, why is this passage in in 
Genesis the jumping off point for this discussion. Because unless we understand the created order of things, we're not going to understand the way that God intended intimate relationships. The reality is that God um, created men and women to be in a one flesh com- flesh commitment of marriage. And that is what the way that God intended and created romantic relationships. So that doesn't leave room for a romantic relationship of two people with the same sex. From a human perspective, from our finite minds, we might look at that and say, well, that's not fair. But the thing is, God is our creator, and he is the one that sets the parameters for his creation. Remember way back in the garden, what was the devil's biggest lie? The devil's biggest lie was that the ordinance that God had put in place for mankind was unfair. He said, God is depriving you of what you fully deserve. So you should follow me and eat of the fruit that he said not to do. And I think that is the way of all sin is we become persuaded that God is not fair. And so we go our own way. Think about this. God caused a deep sleep to fall upon man, Adam, and then he took a rib out of Adam and he made the woman from the rib. Now, it's interesting here that God could have called men men and women into existence the same way that he called the animals into existence. Every other creation, God said, let these things appear, and they appeared. But man was made from the dust of the ground, and the woman was made from the man. These things need to be understood when we are thinking about marriage because they are fundamental to the true meaning of marriage. God made marriage because he didn't want men to be alone and he made woman for the man and the way that the woman relates to the man in a godly way in this intimate two-person relationship is through biblical marriage. And so that needs to be understood as we unpack these aspects of human relationships and the way God intended things. And the first point on this topic is Jesus created us male and female. It was his intention for marriage as well. So now I'm going to read to you from Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 to 6, because this is Jesus quoting Moses from Genesis. It's interesting because the the Pharisees would often say, we are Moses' disciples. And Jesus said, well, if you are Moses' disciples, then you would believe in me because Moses testified of me. So Jesus is conveying here that Moses' teaching and his teaching line up because Moses got the teaching from Almighty God, who is personified in Jesus. 
So this is what Jesus says. And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. So Jesus is saying here, this is the model for marriage. God put men and women together and said they are to be married for life. And some people say that God didn't speak uh, against gay marriage. But sometimes it's not in what God says as much as it is what he doesn't say. When Jesus is asked to define marriage or to talk about what marriage is, this is what he says. He said, A man shall leave father and mother and will shall cleave unto his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. If you study biology, you know that men and women fit together. That is the way that God intended it. He did not make a mistake. There's not anomalies. God's created order is perfect. And what the devil tries to do is he tries to say, did God really say that? Does God really mean that? But Jesus is affirming that what was said in Genesis is still true in Matthew. And what Jesus said in Matthew is still true today. God intended marriage and romantic relationships among mankind to be between one man and one woman for life. Let me remind you here that God says in the epistles, let everything be done decently and in order. That is God's goal for us, is that everything would be done decently and in order. And one of the main building blocks of that is to have the family the nuclear family, be as God created it. The next point I want to point out is homosexuality is a direct result of forgetting God. And this is a long passage, but I want you to listen and think about it. It says, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they were without excuse. So first of all, we see that the creation tells us that we can be without excuse. It really amazes me that people say, well, this earth happened by chance. But if you look at a car and the way that it is made, you will find that the first thing that you realize when you investigate a car is you discover who the manufacturer is. And the manufacturer keeps track of who worked on the car. So that if need be, you could go all the way back and say, these are the very people who put it together. But something infinitely more complicated, like the universe, somehow happened by chance. Because that, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. So, there's a God-shaped hole in all of us. There's something, I believe, that desires God, that desires something more in every single human being. But we have the choice of whether 
to pursue God or rejecting rejecting God. And when we reject God, our foolish hearts are darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they become fools and change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible men and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things, wherefore God gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. So you reject the Creator, something has to be in its place. And so what the writer of Romans here, Paul, is saying is that the creation becomes more important than the Creator. And people start giving their allegiance to something created rather than the one who created it. We see this all the way back in the uh, golden calf in Exodus. Because when Moses was up on the mountain and he delayed to come down by their estimation, by the estimation of the people of Israel, then Aaron said, give me your gold and I will make you a god. And he said, here is this calf. This is the God that led you out of Egypt. So they go from worshiping the God that created the cattle to worshiping the cattle that God created. And then we see the result of this. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause gave them God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust toward one another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves the recompense of their heir, which was meat. Romans one twenty to twenty seven. Now I know there's a lot here, but let me just first say that all sins are equal before God. I believe that with all my heart. I am just as much a sinner as anyone else. I am in need of repentance and confession on a daily basis to keep uh, my record short with God and to make sure that I maintain a clean heart. I understand this, and we will actually dig into that a little bit more as we go on. But what we have here is a situation where once you reject the Creator, you reject the created order, and then everything is permissible. Because there's no longer a created order. And so that is what leads to homosexual behavior. And the reality is, again, that it is not about when we're talking about this issue, we need to be very careful, I believe, as Christians to say that it's not so much about getting people to reject their homosexual behavior as it is about introducing them to the God who can take and change them and change them from instruments of unrighteousness to instruments of righteousness. I'm actually in the midst of a really interesting book called Gay Girl, Good God um, by Jackie Perry. And 
Jackie was a lesbian and God redeemed her and brought her out of that left lifestyle. Um, and I really am appreciating the book so far because she is really showing and talking about from a biblical perspective, how it was never about for her getting to the point where she was attracted to men. It was about getting to the place where she loved God more than anything else. And because she loved God was willing to forsake her evil behavior. And I really think that is good because we can get hung up on the issue and have this attitude like, well, this is, this is a, an abhorrent behavior. So just stop it. But really we are all capable and guilty of abhorrent behaviors apart from the grace of God. And so I just want to encourage you that this is not just a dump fest, but is an encouragement to seek God while he may be found and allow him to do his work in you. Remember we, we've talked about on this podcast before how in Ezekiel, it talks about how he wants to remove your heart of stone and put in its place, a heart of flesh. So my encouragement to you is to seek God and allow him to do the changing. I think it can get very discouraging to us when we take the attitude or even have the feeling like we can do the changing. Can we be in a vessel that God uses toward that end? Yes, but we are not the ones that do the changing. I mean, and this is true regardless of who you are and regardless of what you struggle with because there are so many times when I want to shake someone I love and tell them Jesus is the way. He's changed my life so much that I want him to change yours. But I can't make somebody accept the truth and the grace and the amazingness that is a relationship with the living God. Only God can break through and do that. The next point that I want to bring out is we are all hopeless without God. Know ye not that the unrighteousness shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. So that's pretty hopeless, because if we're all honest, if we are 100% honest, our names are somewhere on that list. We've all sinned. We've all done sins that are on this list. Remember, Jesus said it. it's not just sins of action, but sins of thought. So if you look at it that way, then you, you look at this first part and you see that we are all guilty. There's no hope for us. But then there's some wonderful, glorious words of hope to finish this passage. And such were some of you, but you are washed, but you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Think about that for a minute. We were all on that former list. There's a lot of sins on that list. We can all find ourselves on that list. And such were some of you. 
but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Anybody that says to you that the name of Jesus is not important just needs to look at this passage. Peter said there is no other name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus is the difference maker. Jesus does the washing by his blood. While we were yet without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. Because we couldn't survive, we couldn't live without the intercession of Jesus. That's the reality. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. I don't care what you've done. You can be redeemed by the Lord Jesus. God takes our past and he puts it as far away, the psalmist says, as the east is from the west. And he says, your sins and your iniquities will I remember And this is true across the board. It does not matter what you and I are guilty of. God is good. Okay, transitioning ever so slightly to the issue of abortion. And the reason I keep bringing this up and the reason I'm bringing it up today as we talk about whether or not we should address hot-button issues, is because I'm increasingly alarmed by people who claim to be Christian who have an issue with things like the Texas abortion bill. The reality is that if we were doing our job as parents as siblings, as teachers, talking about the moral, biblical perspective of this issue, as well as the one we just talked about, we would have a Christian generation that wouldn't even think about complaining about a heartbeat bill from Texas, which restricts the death of unborn children. To me, it's very sad that you could grow up in a Christian home, have the Bible be an influence in your life, and come to the conclusion that any effort to restrict the killing of unborn babies would be acceptable to you, and that you would still name the name of Jesus. Some people may may think that's harsh, but the reality is that we were made in the image of God. And so having a pro-abortion view denies that image. Let's look at a couple different aspects of that. The first one is that God created us. The psalmist writes in Psalm 139, 13-17, For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. 
I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee, when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. How precious are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! And again, that's Psalm one thirty nine thirteen to seventeen. This passage of scripture, we don't know how David was informed of this by God, but this passage of scripture, divinely inspired, clearly shows the humanity of the unborn baby. And science has done nothing short of confirm this because now we have ultrasound images. Now we're able to, to hear a fetal heartbeat really early on in the process, which really inspired this bill. But let's look at a couple aspects of this passage. First, he says, you have covered me in my mother's womb. So he's talking about a baby in utero in this passage. And then he says, I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And then, talking about the creation of human life, the psalmist says, Marvelous are thy works, and that my my soul knoweth right well. And so, the psalmist is relating the self-evident truth that God's works are marvelous, and that God is good to him. And then he talks about how he was made in secret, and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. So God knew the plan that he had for you before you were formed, and as you were being formed, and before you were born, and as you were being born, he knew. And the next one is, God has a purpose for us. Then said I, this is Jeremiah speaking, Ah, Lord God, I cannot speak, for I am a child. And then God's response to Jeremiah was, Before I formed thee in the womb, I knew thee. So again, this speaks to unborn life. This speaks to God having a plan for your life before you were born. The world, the pro-abortion movement, wants to make the first breath of a baby the litmus test. And he, But here's the crazy thing, is some people have debated and, and openly talked about the ability to post-birth abort your child. And why is that? Because if we don't value life when it's in the womb, why would we value life outside of the womb? It's so important that we grasp the biblical significance of this. It's not as simple as just having a different opinion than someone else. Of course, I do believe that we need to be loving to people who disagree with us on this issue and not beat them over the head with it. 
But if you believe the Bible, you cannot get away from this truth. Because the God who formed Jeremiah in the womb and had a purpose for him there, because that passage in Jeremiah 1.6 basically goes on to say, I'm, I, I'm sending you to the nations, and this was a purpose that I had for you before you were born. That same God, who is the God of Jeremiah, is our God today. How do we know that? Because in Hebrews it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I hope that encourages you, and I hope that you will study these things yourself so that you know that they are true. Because they're not true because I say them, but they are true because God says them. And that's the important takeaway I want you to have. And as we finish up this discussion, I want to finish with a simple uh, statement and point that children are a blessing. And this is what the psalmist says about that. He says, Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quarter full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. And this is so important to capture. The Bible says not only are children a good thing, but they are an heritage of the Lord. They are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward. They are as arrows in the hands of a mighty man. You should be happy if you have your quiver full of them. And I know there are certain people in the world that no matter what you do will always have a negative view of children. I understand that. I acknowledge it. And it's because the devil has blinded them and because he hates God's image. He hates us because we are made in his image. And so he wants to convince us that killing our children is the best thing we could do. But I do have a word of admonition for the believers who are listening to my podcast today. And that is, I would encourage you to check your eye attitudes and your perspective on children. This scripture here in Psalm 127 verses 3 to 5 tells us that children are a reward. That if you have a quiver full of them, that you will be happy. That they are a heritage of the Lord. All these things are positive. Yet I would venture to say that if you Look at the motives of someone who chooses, notice the words I'm using, someone who chooses to have one or two children, and the motives of someone who chooses abortion, you will find that they are often similar, if not exactly the same. I can't afford another child, 
It's not the right time in my life to have a child. But that child is a soul that God has given life. That child is a unique group of cells and DNA that God has created for a purpose. And if we as the church cannot have the proper view of children as God sees them, how can we expect the world to say no to abortion? I realize that today's episode has been pretty heavy, but I hope that you will share this if you've been encouraged by it and that you will let other people know about the Speaking for Him podcast. That's how people find out about us. Also, please, if you would, drop me a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts so that I can be encouraged and so that other people can find the Speaking for Him podcast. That's about all I have to share with you this week, but I hope that you have a great week and keep serving the best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at Speaking for Him. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review.